0: The Champions League group stage is in the rear view. 16 teams through to the knockouts. Who were the top individual performers? I'll hand out my team of the group stage. Spoiler alert. Zero Barcelona players. Also, there's a striker that is absolutely taking Italian football by storm. Who? is Dusan Vlahovic, and how has he flown up the Syria scoring charts in the last 18 months or so? That is what's on tap for today's episode. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome to this episode. Actually, welcome to this episode. Episode 10 of the Tactics Room podcast presented by Breaking the Lines, officially into double digits. That is exciting. So happy that every single one of you have chosen to spend some time here with me in this, this beautiful holiday. Season. I don't know what it's like by you, uh, but by me it doesn't feel like the holiday season. I think we've gotten snow uh, approximately one time, and it's what December, December seventeenth on the day of recording. But uh, holiday season nonetheless. Hope it's been fantastic for you, and so happy that you're choosing to spend thirty or forty-five minutes of your holiday season with me for episode ten of the Tactics Room. Um, should be a good one on tap for today. We've got some Champions League team of the group stage awards to hand out. That I'm I'm basing. I didn't really tease this in the intro. I couldn't find a place for it. But it's a Champions League team of the group stage using advanced statistics, using analytics. Um, That's how we're, we're crafting this, this best 11 for the Champions League. Not just the headline players, not just the world-class athletes, it's the ones who did it uh, on paper. The ones who did it via the numbers. That's our Champions League team of the group stage uh, that we're handing out today. And also, Dusan Vlahovic has been setting Serie A light. He's being linked with... Lord knows how many European giants Um, he's been linked with. Well, tell you what, pick a massive European club. And I bet you they've inquired uh, about Dusan Vlahovic with Fiorentina. He will not be cheap. But he will be on the move in the summer, maybe sooner. Um, If you enjoy what you hear in the next 45 minutes or so, please, please, please consider subscribing to uh, Breaking the Lines, wherever you get your podcasts from, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, literally anywhere else. As long as it has a subscribe feature, please consider smashing that button so you don't miss uh, a single episode in the future. And also, if you enjoy what you heard, please don't be afraid to go back and listen to our previous nine episodes. This is of course number 10 our first ever 10th episode of the tactics room that means that there are nine prior ones that you can go back and listen to and enjoy or maybe disagree with and vent about as well um let's jump right in because i i don't want to wait any longer for this uh for this episode i'm so so excited to jump into to what i have planned for today um champions league team of the group stage we'll start there We'll start with the Champions League team in the group stage, and then we'll jump into our, our Dusan Vlahovic player profile, uh, both of which should be should be very, very intriguing. Let's start with the cha- uh, Champions League team of the group stage. We're going to we're gonna set this thing up in a 3-4-3, three, three, and the reason why, and maybe it's cheating to get more attacking players in there, and if that's, if that's cheating in your book, so be it. There have been so many good attacking players in this season's group stage. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's been the norm and I just ha- have been paying no attention, but I have a feeling that there is more elite attacking players in this most recent group stage than there have been in the past. So we're setting things up in a three, four, three to give us as many attacking players as possible. And you guys know me, I've done teams of the season teams of the year teams of the group stage before actually maybe not on this podcast, but on, on other platforms I've, I've done things like this. And I enjoy some realism in my teams of the group stage or teams of the season. I enjoy, for example, setting up on a 4-3-3 and not having three attacking midfielders. I enjoy having some balance in midfield. Um, I did as best as I could with this uh, best 11. But I, I would say if this team were to take the pitch, for a 90-minute match against even a semi-competent side, um, they're probably scoring eight and, and conceding seven. That's, I think, where where this squad would get us. That being said, uh, makes it more exciting because you've got more attacking players to discuss, more attacking players to dive into. So, 3-4-3. Three, three. We'll start at the front. We'll start with the attacking three. Uh, and the first one should come as absolutely no surprise. He's been doing it uh, with the eye and uh, with numbers. And that's Ajax's Sebastian Haller, the, the Champions League golden boot winner in the group stage. Ten goals, one assist, only player to reach a double-digit goal tally in the Champions League group stage. Um, And so that, just by itself, should be enough to earn him a place. But when you dive into to the numbers of Sebastian Haller in this season's group stage, he's actually been even more impressive because not only has he been prolific, He's been efficient. He scored 10 goals, which, of course, tops the charts, as I mentioned. But his efficiency, he's got the best shots on target percentage among players with over 10 shots on target. He's taking shots and he's scoring. He's not wasting opportunities. Over 66% of his cha- of, of his shots on target end up finding the back of the net. Again, that's the best among any player with over 10. He's also got the most goals per shot on target among players uh, that qualify for the stat, which means, again, it's another testament to his efficiency his production. He's not throwing away chances. He's not missing chances. 0.75 goals per shot on target is the best ratio among players that qualify for the competition. So yes, I were a side that were creating chances. They were were dominant in their group. You can argue maybe they were the the, the favorite to win the group heading into it. I think you would have been between them or Borussia Dortmund. Maybe you can make an argument that they played against three sides in Dortmund, Sporting and Besiktas, who they reasonably should have beaten uh, every single match they played. But um, e- even with that, even with the abundance of chances that Ajax created, uh, Heller's goals numbers were not inflated as a product of that because he was not missing chances. He was scoring basically every single chance that he ran into. Again, 10 goals, one assist, 10 goals, top the group stage. Any player in the Champions League group stage uh, number one was Sebastian Hilaire, who, by the way, it's even funnier now going back and thinking about last season after he moved to uh, to Ajax from West Ham and how he didn't even play in the Europa League knockouts for Ajax because they quite literally just forgot to leave him off of the roster. Um, I, I bet Ajax looked twice before they submitted their squad list for this season's group stage, this season's Champions League. And boy, are they happy they did because Hilaire has been an absolute revelation. Um. Behind him, I think he w- he was the only real lock, truthfully, in this attacking three, because there have been some really really strong players, both in terms of goal output, but also in terms of, of ball progression, chance creation. Go with a player like uh, potentially Hilaris' teammate at IX, Anthony, has been spectacular, particularly in the group stage, in terms of ball progression, dribbling numbers, uh, assists, key passes. Lou Rezzane was spectacular as well for Bayern Munich, but the second forward. Who I'm going to go for is actually Leverus his teammate. It shouldn't come as much of a surprise, but Robert Lewandowski deserves a place in this uh, Champions League group stage best 11, nine goals, two assists throughout uh, Bayern's six games against, see if I can remember, I should be able to, Barcelona, uh, Benfica, Dinamo Uh Bayern ran through that group, six matches, six wins. Lewandowski was standard. Lewandowski was as advertised. And again, I think Heller was the only 100% lock. <laughs> Lewandowski was a 99% lock. He was spectacular as well. Actually, second most expected goals behind, of course, Sebastian Hilaire with six. Uh, also, he he. What's the best way to, to phrase this. Lewandowski outperformed his expected goals by the second most, if that makes sense. So he scored nine goals on six expected. That difference, that plus three difference is the second best behind. Guess who? Sebastian Hilaire which shows you that he's, again, he, he's finishing at a better rate than than your standard player. He's he's scoring more goals than you'd expect based on the chances that he's seeing, which for a striker of Robert Lewandowski's quality is expected, but that doesn't make it any less impressive. So second in expected goals in six, second in goals versus expected goals differential with a plus three. And similar to Sebastian Allaire, he's been uh, efficient, he's been effective, the second most goals per shot on target among players with over five, again, who qualify for that category. And number one, as you mentioned, Sebastian Haller Sebastian Haller 0.75 goals per shot on target. Robert Lewandowski, 0.73. So both of these guys, these two talismanic strikers, these two just poaching number nines, um, and they both did it at a wildly efficient rate as well. 19 goals combined between the two of them, first place and second place in the Champions League group stage golden boot race. Now, the third forward is where it really, really gets hard. Because as I mentioned, there were two guys in Anthony and Lee who were really, really impressive. Karen Benzema had a strong group stage as well for Real Madrid. He had a couple of teammates who who overperformed and who who really left their marks, who we'll get into a little bit later. Um, But the third forward for me, and this one might come as the most controversial of the three, which would be a surprise because he's probably, pound for pound, the best player. Of the three but the third forward who I've included in this 3-4-3 three, three best 11 is Kylian Mbappe for uh, for PSG and I know that that anytime you mention a player in this PSG attack whether it be Messi Neymar Mbappe Di Maria whoever you want in the Champions League specifically it'll come with a little bit of a flinch because of how passive they look I suppose because of how uh how how low rated they looked they were and they have been since the start of the season both in the Champions League and domestically, they've looked a step behind. They've not been what we have expected them to be. But that doesn't take away from Kylian Mbappe's individual output, his individual production. Four goals, four assists. He was still providing plenty of end product for this PSG side, although they did look disjointed at times. Um, out of possession, they were horrendous in possession. Their build-up play was, was uninspiring at best. But in terms of in the final third, Kylian Mbappe was doing some fantastic, fantastic things. For PSG, four goals, four assists. Um, and in terms of of goal and shot creation, that's that's a number that I absolutely love is goal creating actions, shot creating actions. Once you get into the final third and into those dangerous positions, are you are you taking advantage of them? Kylian Mbappe did. Kylian Mbappe, second in goal creating actions with eight, sixth in goal creating actions for 90 because he played in virtually every single minute that PSG played. Seventh in the competition and expected goals in 3.7. And of course he scored four. So that's about on par with what he was expected to do. But um when you look at this PSG side, as uninspiring as it was, as as disappointing, you could say as it was, although uh they did advance out of the group of death. maybe that's the that's the, the counter-argument, is PSG did advance out of the group of death that included um Manchester City and Derby Leipzig. And also Club Bruges, who Absolutely should not be looked over in this discussion because they took points off of teams, I think. Maybe they took a point off of a team, and that was PSG. But club brewers are no easy side to knock off either. Um, Difficult group, Kylian Mbappe, eight total goal involvements along with some of the underlying numbers that suggest that once we got the ball into the final third, not we, but once PSG got the ball into the final third, uh, Kylian Mbappe was doing what Kylian Mbappe was expected to do. So that's my attacking three, Sebastian Hilaire, Robert Lewandowski, Kylian Mbappe, and again, so many honorable mentions, two that I have written down that I've already named. Leroy Zane is is the first one off the bench, I think, in this metaphorical best 11. Anthony was spectacular, the young Brazilian playing over on the right at Ajax, and he will only get better as time goes on. Um, Karim Benzema, who I said. Even other Ajax players, Dusan uh, Dusan Tadic was was statistically very impressive. Uh, Steven Berghaus was a quality, quality number 10 for Ajax, who actually, I suppose you could make an argument to throw him in this, this midfield four. Uh, Spoiler alert, he isn't, which is why I'm talking about him now. But uh, lots of really quality players that could have earned a place in this top three. But at the end of the day, I think you've got Sebastian O'Leary, Robert Lewandowski, Kylian Mbappe. Now, I know what you're thinking. And what you're thinking is where in the world is Mohamed Salah? Now, that's where I... Present to you, uh, this eleven would not live in a actual ninety minute match because I needed to find a place to shoehorn Mohamed Salah in, and that place is is right midfield on the right of this midfield floor. Um, uh, obviously, I know he's not a a right midfielder for Liverpool, um, but these best elevens are never realistic. So I'm gonna take advantage of it. God damn it, I'm gonna take advantage of the creative freedom that metaphorical best elevens give me. And there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I guess you can. I guess you can't click off of this podcast. But if you were asking where Mohamed Salah is, here he is. He's in the team. I found a place for him. He's going to play, and he's going to rip things apart on that right side. Mohamed Salah, absolutely in this team. Seven goals uh, across the Champions League group stage. Third in the competition in expected goals with 4.2. Also third in that goals versus expected goals differential plus 2.8. Like Hilaire, like Lewandowski tells you, he was finishing chances at a rate better than your average player, and he was doing it at, at one of the best rates in the entire competition. Actually, across the board, if you look at attacking numbers individually across the board, you can make a pretty definitive argument that the three best attacking players in, in this competition so far have been, in this order, Sebastian Haller at one, Robert Lewandowski at two, Mohamed Salah at three. That's Haller one, Lewandowski two. Salah three. And that's how the order goes in terms of, of the goals. Obviously, Haler 10, Lewandowski nine, uh, Mohamed Salah seven, but it's more than that. Every single major attacking statistic, or should I say, say a uh, shooting statistic that I, I tend to go by basically every single time it was Haler Lewandowski, Salah, Haler Lewandowski, Salah, Haler Lewandowski, Salah. Um, and so I think that's why you can make that pretty definitive case. If you look at something like like goals, as we mentioned, Haler, Lewandowski, Salah, Expected goals. Halair, Lewandowski, Salah. I mean, these three players were the three best attacking output players and the three most efficient attacking output players, and all three deserve places in the team. Again, Salah's playing over on the right of a midfield four, but that's only because Mbappe really can't. I mean, it doesn't mean that Mbappe was better than Salah was, it just means that Salah there's more places in this team that we can drop them down. That's where we're putting him over on the left of this midfield four. And this might be the most controversial. one. Uh, well, is it? I don't know. Tell you what, it, maybe it's not the most controversial. It's the one that I'm bracing for the most impact for. I think that's how I'll phrase it. And I really, really need to sell this player's case because in terms of, of goal production, he only scored twice. I mean, there's a lot of really good players that you can throw on the left of this midfield four. But this is this is where I think Vinicius Jr. deserves a spot, because, again, two goals, three assists, That's five goal involvements in the Champions League. But he was in a league of his own in terms of of creating dangerous scenarios, in terms of progressing the ball, in terms of wreaking havoc in the final third and this is not just a Champions League storyline this is a La Liga storyline as well Vinicius Jr. has taken an astronomical leap from last year to this year and you can really see that not just when you watch Real Madrid play because when you watch Real Madrid play you'll notice Vinicius in matches last year that wasn't always the case he was a very purple patch player hot for some games cold for the next five Hot for the next five, on and off, on and off. He's only been hot this season, with the exception of maybe a couple matches where he looks off, that everybody gets that exception. Vinicius has looked spectacular. And across Real Madrid's six Champions League matches, he has been the best player in the competition in terms of creating dangerous opportunities for players like Karim Benzema to go and finish. Third in the competition, in goal-creating actions with seven, but here, here's where I was the most impressed. Vinicius leads in all of these categories. He leads the competition in shot-creating actions. It's not particularly close. He leads the competition in progressive distance carried. It's not particularly close. That means he picks up the ball, drives it towards the goal. He has the most distance-covered, In those situations, which means he's picking up the ball and he's running at the goal. He's getting you from defense to attack. That's what Vinicius did better than anybody else in the competition. First in carries into the penalty area. First in carries into the final third, but it's not just his dribbling first in key passes. I mean, this guy was absolutely brilliant and every single, every single number just backs that up. And it's not just a numbers argument either. Because when you watch Real Madrid play in the Champions League group stage, and again, when you watch Real Madrid play domestically as well, Vinicius is the one causing the most problems. Only two goals in the Champions League, three assists, but it's everything beneath that, everything prior to that, his ability to turn defense into attack, his ability to make Real Madrid so lethal in the transition game on the counter, his ability to do it both with his running and with his passing. I mean, he has been wreaking havoc over on the left side of that Real Madrid attack. Um, and he, I, I think he's been one of the most spectacular players in the Champions League this season. That's why I've got him in the team. And he's been maybe, besides carrying Benzema, maybe he's been Real Madrid's best player. He's been so, so good. And I'm so happy to see a player of his nature finally take the step that we've been expecting to take. Maybe it's come a bit later than we thought it would. But it, better late than never, he's been fantastic for Real Madrid. Good. An absolute match changer when he's on the pitch. Um, let's go to this this midfield pairing then. And we'll go with the more attack-minded one of the two. There's a name that I haven't mentioned yet. Um, there's a name that I haven't mentioned yet, uh, because I've been trying to put him off until now. Um because he he's been spectacular for every Leipzig. Of course, Leipzig were Eliminated from the competition, they're competing in that that Europa League playoff. I guess uh, still not fully sure of how that bracket works. I think the eight third place teams in the Champions League drop to play the eight runners up in the Europa League. Winners advance to play the Europa League winners. Airby Leipzig are playing in that 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 play-in round, that third, uh, the eight third place finishers versus the eight runners up. That's where Leipzig are now. Um, but even with that, Christopher and Kunku was spectacular for Ebi Leipzig, seven goals and one assist uh, overperformed his expected goals more than anyone else in the competition. And this is a competition that included killing Mbappe, Robert Lewandowski, Lionel Messi, uh, Mohamed Salah, and basically every other world-class attacking player that you can name, except for Harry Kane, um, salt in the wound. Christopher Nkunku was was uh, brilliant. Seven goals on 2.7 expected. That's a plus 4.3 goal differential, which as I mentioned is the best. In the competition. And when we talk about, about that hilaire Lewandowski sala uh, hierarchy, if you will, that podium of, of spectacular attackers in the Champions League, Nkunku's been right behind them because he's overperformed his XG more than anybody else in the competition, as I mentioned. But he's also got a third most goals per shot on target among players with over five, among players who fit into that that window, who qualify for that stat with 0.64 behind only Robert Lewandowski, and Sebastian Haller. So Nkunku, seven goals, one assist, Leipzig out of the competition, but he was, in terms of goal output, in terms of of final third contributions, Nkunku was really, really good. And it's made even more impressive when you take into account two things. One, Leipzig were playing uh, in a group that included PSG and Manchester City, and I know three of Nkunku's seven goals came in that hat trick against City on match day one, but Uh, And Kunku had a hat trick against Manchester City, a match they won. That's impressive in and of itself. And the other thing that makes this really impressive is this is a Leipzig side that, for as long as we've known, since they broke into the top tier of of German football, they've been a side that, that, specifically last season, don't necessarily rely on one player to provide the goal output. And your counter kind to of that argument is Altimo Werner. He was always a goal in the boot candidate, and that's fair. But that was a Leipzig side that also had Yusuf Poulsen providing goals. It had Forsberg creating chances. It was a side that still needed everybody to, to create chances, and then Werner was the one who would put them in the back of the net. This Leipzig squad is dealing with an Andre Silva, who has not been able to get off the mark, with Leipzig yet. A Dominic who doesn't look fully comfortable at Leipzig yet. A Danny Olmo, who's been in and out of the team through injury and illness. And still Christopher Nkunku's been able to carry that load to an extent, because again, they didn't advance. But he, he was still able to put up big, big impressive numbers. Again, seven goals, one assist for Leipzig in the Champions League. A really, really solid output for him. Um the second midfielder, well I suppose the fourth midfielder, but the second central midfielder and our final midfielder is a tough one to, to hand out. I'm, I'm going back and forth, and I've been going back and forth between two players. And the one that I'm going for has obviously been very, very good. But Jude Bellingham was equally is fantastic. Jude Bellingham, of course, finished runner-up. Um, Borussia Dortmund's best player this season. He's been, he's been really, really good uh, just across, across the board. Um, but I think the player who barely, barely nips him and I'm still I'm still I'm still thinking about this one, but I think I'm gonna stick with it. The player who barely nicked him is Marcelo Brozovic at Inter Milan Internationale. Of course, inter advanced out of the same group with Real Madrid. And when you look at at this inter side, and I know I've spoken about it in the past on this podcast, I think actually it was like an episode two or an episode three topic. When you look at the way this inter Milan side play, Marcelo Brozovic is so integral to all of it. Marcelo Brozovic is is the engine for the most part in that midfield five of that, that three, five, two, especially interside that attack with their other two midfielders in Hakan Charlinolu and Nicolo Barella, having that one remaining defensive midfielder to screen the back line, to progress the ball, to win the ball back. You need a world-class talent to fill that role and still have the team work. And Marcelo Brozovic is that world-class talent. Um, his ability to, to a, uh, do well defensively when many times he's the only player, uh, especially if Inter being hit on the counterattack. But even more impressively is what Brozovic does in possession, driving the ball forward, progressing the ball for the players like Varela, for the players like Chalanolu, for the players like Latoro Martinez and, and Edin Dzeko. Um, Brozovic was one of the most progressive midfielders in the entire competition this season. He was fourth across the board and distance carried, total distance carried. Um, that's picking up a ball and running with it. He did that the fourth most distance out of anybody in the competition. But again, like, uh, like Vinicius, it was not just his legs that he progressed the ball with. He was fifth in the entire competition in total passing distance. So making massive impacts with both his ability to run with the ball, to run forward with the ball, but also to, to spray the ball wide as well. And those are two things that obviously Brozovich does very, very well is carry the ball forward, but also, pick out a pass anywhere on the pitch. That's why he's been lauded as by myself and by others as the most important player in this interside. And that's why he's being recruited by some of, of Europe's uh, England's, some of England's uh, biggest clubs, ones that need a defensive midfielder very, very desperately looking at you, Ralph Renick and Manchester United. Um but there's a reason why Brozovic is always so highly regarded and it's because of that. It's because for whatever reason, he's able to consistently He's doing the role of of two players, and he's doing it, and he's making it look seamless. Brozovic, Marcelo Brozovic, is my fourth and final midfielder in this team. So let's go through it one more time before we get to the three defenders who we'll try to go through a bit quicker. Um, the attacking three, Sebastian Hilaire, Robert Lewandowski, Kylian Mbappe, the midfield four, Vinicius on the left, Mohamed Salah on the right, and then in the middle, we've got uh, Christopher Nkunku and Marcelo Brozovic. And actually, now thinking about it, Maybe this team does work. Because if you've got Brozovic playing in the middle of the midfield, maybe you can have Mohamed Salah and Vinicius Jr. just running up and down the flanks endlessly. Uh, and just having Brozovic screen while Nkunku in gets into the box as well. So maybe, maybe this team does work. Maybe this team does win the league. We'll see. Um to this three man defense. I I I think I'm happy with it. I, I don't there is there are a couple players who you have to have to go back and forth on. And a lot of this as well comes uh, down to what do you what do you value most statistically in a defender? I think I tried to find a way to balance uh, attacking output and ball progression with uh, defensive solidity. And so the three defenders that I've used are ones that played for really uh, they, they played for sides that didn't concede very often. They played for sides that were very defensively strong but who also uh, progressed the ball well, the three defenders, who also progressed the ball well and didn't just stand there and win the ball back. Three Because there are plenty of them now in the Champions League, and I know that's not a hot take to, to say that there are defenders who can both win the ball back and also progress up the pitch. Um, but there's plenty of them to choose from now. So in terms of best 11s, simply being an elite defender does not put you in a best 11 defense, as backwards as it sounds. You've got to be able to do a number of different things, and that's win the ball back, uh, put in tackles, not concede, paired with providing things offensively as well. So the first uh, defender in this team, uh, I don't think I've gone to Manchester City yet, but I'm going to now in uh, Jacques Cancelo. He's been spectacular playing on usually the left side, of a defensive four for Manchester City, two goals, three assists. But again, in terms of ball progression, Cancelo has been absolutely spectacular. And the one stat that stood out the most to me, uh, Cancelo is fourth in the entire competition. He's not fourth among defenders. He's fourth in the entire competition in expected assists with 2.3. Fourth, again, think about how many elite attacking players, elite wingers, elite number 10s, Elite, elite eight, number eight. I mean, think about how many elite attacking fullbacks. Think about how many elite players there are in this competition, and still, Joaquin Celo came fourth in expected assists. That is obviously the most among any defender. The next most is uh, is Demarco at Inter Milan with only one point five. And there's only four defenders, four traditional defenders, who have over one expected assist. And Cancelo is 2.3. That tells you a lot about what he's able to contribute when Manchester City have the ball in possession. Um, 54 progressive passes as well. That leads the entire competition. A progressive pass is one that travels at least 10 yards closer to the goal. 54 of those. He's third in the entire competition and carries forward. So another player who's doing it with both his legs his ability to run, but also his ability to pass. Joao Cancelo, and I've been, and credit to, to, I don't know I don't know if you're listening, Chris Maestro. Uh, you may be, you may not be. We've had this conversation. Uh, Joao Cancelo versus Akraf Hakimi. Now, let the record show, these conversations came early, early in the season, uh, before Hakimi's form took a bit of a dip. But I was not fully on board with the Joao Cancelo best uh, fullback, best wide defender on the planet argument yet. And I'll tell you what, I'm a lot more open to it now than I was two or three months ago because this guy has been spectacular. And it, it, it shocks me. to it, It's even more impressive knowing that, what, two years ago, 18 months ago, Manchester City were willing to offload him because of a man named Ben Mendy. Um, oh, how the tables have turned. Joaquin Salo has only gone and turned into one of the most effective and world-class fullbacks on the entire planet. Uh, the last two defenders in this team, both center backs. Uh, the first one comes by way of Bayern Munich. New addition, uh, Diodo Pamukkano. He's been really, really good uh, for this Bayern side in defense. He's the best defender in the Champions League best defense. Bayern only conceded three goals across their six matches. Um, so there's your defensive output. We already know how good of a 1v1 defender Pamukkano is. Big, physical, but also very cerebral in the sense he understands where attacking players are going to move. He makes winning the ball back look very, very simple. Um, but in terms of, of progressing the ball, he leads Byron in progressive distance carried. He's not afraid to... We see so many times center backs win the ball back and immediately look for the first passing outlet, look for the first player that they can find. Even if it's back to the goalie, they look for the first player who, who just to get rid of it. Um, Upamakano is not necessarily that player. He leads Bayern in progressive distance carried. he won the ball back, and then instead of looking for an outlet right away, he'll carry forward if he has the space to do so. Um, he leads Bayern defensively in tackles plus interceptions. So, again... He's winning the ball back, he's getting into passing lanes, um, and then he's taking the ball and he's driving forward with it. But there's one stat that really kind of impressed me, and I I don't know if this is an end-all be-all take or if this is, you know, the the silver lining, but it's a neat, a neat thing to throw in because of how many talented players this Bayern side have, how many world-class players this Bayern side have. Um, David Pamecano leads Bayern Munich in on-off expected goal differential. And essentially what that is, is expected goals conceded or expected goals scored? Expected goals conceded. Finding the difference between those two when a certain player is on the pitch versus finding the difference between those two when the player is off the pitch. So, I I I, I hope I explained that well because it is it, there are a couple layers to it because you've got to find. Differences, uh, or you've got to find like like the, the ranges between like four or five off well, three different things. Um, but David Apamecano has the biggest advantage in that stat among all Byron players, which suggests, and this is, it's similar to a plus minus. If you follow NBA basketball, it's similar, similar to a plus minus, Byron are just better when Apamecano is playing. Byron just, they, they, whether it's they concede less or they score more because Apamecano contributes to both of those things, Byron are just better. And, and it's a testament to maybe Upamecano certainly is their most important defender. He's certainly one of their most important players. And I think that's, that is that is is a testament to that. Leeds Bayern in on-off expected goal differential. Um, my third defender, we've gone Cancelo, we've gone Upamecano. We're going to go back to uh, to an English side and actually to the the current title holders, despite not having mentioned them yet. Uh, Well, actually, that kind of gave it away, didn't it? Because I did want to first mention uh, David Alaba as a player who was on the fringe and then be like, oh, but he didn't win. Instead, it's this player. So I just completely threw that away with my intro to Andreas Christensen, who has been uh, very tidy in defense for Chelsea this season. And again, you look at this Chelsea defensive three, what Thomas Tuchel likes to do. Uh, and these defenders are crucial in in the way that Chelsea win the ball back and progress the ball and build up play. I mean, I think I don't know if it's still the case, but I, at some point not too long ago, Chelsea's defenders had more goals than Chelsea's forwards did. I mean, it, it's it's very obvious and it's very easy to see just how big of an impact the defenders are supposed to have in a Thomas Tuchel Chelsea and how involved with the build up and the progression they are contrary to a, a standard, whether it's a flat four or a back five or whatever, where the center backs maybe aren't doing as much. That is not the case in, in Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea and Andreas Christensen. And also Antonio Rudiger, we can't speak about one without forgetting the other. No, we can't speak about one without speaking about the other. I think is what I meant to say. They're both, I mean, they, they have both seen a massive turn in form since before Thomas Tuchel came in. We're seeing Antonio Rudiger, linked as Real Madrid's uh, number one transfer target in January. If you said that to anybody 24 months ago, you're getting laughed off of Twitter. I mean, you're getting, if you went to anybody and said in 24 months, Real Madrid will be hunting for Antonio Rudiger, you would have gotten one of two responses. You would have gotten uh, how bad have Real Madrid gotten or you would, uh, you'd be like, oh, we're thinking of a different Antonio Rudiger. You would, you would never be taken seriously for a day in your life on that app if you said that. But that, that's the nature of 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 what Thomas Tuchel has done to this Chelsea defense. Andreas Christensen, a massive, massive beneficiary of it in terms of progressing the ball, he's seventh in the competition in progressive distance carried. So again, that's picking up the ball and carrying the ball toward the mouth of the goal. He's seventh in the competition in terms of progressive distance carried. Uh, he's fourth in, in total carries. And he, here's a testament to that that Rudiger-Christensen uh, duo. Andreas Christensen has the fourth most carries uh, among any player in the Premier League. Only three players have more carries than he does. And one of them is Antonio Rudiger. He's second. I mean, that, that should tell you a lot about what Thomas Tuchel wants to do with uh, with his defenders, also sixth in total passing distance, which tells you that he's winning the ball and he's being looked at as in terms of distribution in that defensive three, he's being looked at as the one to to spray the ball across all parts of the pitch. Sixth in the competition in total passing distance, and just across the board, this has been a Chelsea side that is hard to crack uh, defensively, and we expected that because under Tuchel, um, they they've just been a very defensively sound side, right? They've been a very defensively sturdy, tough, a uh, tough nut to crack, this Chelsea side have been. They only continued four goals, but regardless, a very impressive performance defensively from Chelsea, so Andreas Christensen is my my third and final defender. So again, before we get to the keeper, let's go through this one more time. Again, it's a 3-4-3. Three, three. Christensen, Upamecano, Cancelo in defense, the midfield pivot of Brozovic and Christopher Nkunku, the wing-backs, wide midfielders, whatever you want to call them in this certain shape, Vinicius and Mohamed Salah, and then an elite attacking three of Sebastian Hilaire, Robert Lewandowski, Kylian Mbappe. And the man behind all of them, the man in goal is one of two players, because when you look at, at goalkeeper statistics, there, there's, well, first of all, there's not a whole lot to go off of, but also there's really, there's been two who have been uh, a, a cut above, I'd say. And one of them is, is you wouldn't be too surprised by, but the other one, is Odisez Vacudimos at Benfica, who has uh, defensively uh, been very, very good relative to Benfica's actual uh, uh, defensive record. Um, the stat that I, I really like to go to when measuring goalkeepers uh, is a stat called post-shot expected goals. And the reason why that specifically is one that I, I use so heavily is because it essentially takes the defense Entirely out of the equation. It, it, it takes the defense entirely out of the equation because you might have a goalkeeper who concedes in a, in a six match group stage that concedes four times, um, but only faced five shots. And so you're looking at that. Oh, four goals conceded in six matches. That's fantastic. Well, no, you, he saved one of his five shots faced. Um, but on paper four four goals conceded in six matches, you're lauding them as, as the next, uh, <laughs> whoever insert elite goalie here. Um, conversely, if you've got a keeper who conceded 15 times in six matches, you're looking at that on the surface as, Oh my gosh, that's horrific. But if they face 40 shots, or fifty shots because their defense is a wet paper towel. Well, then you look at the at the situation a bit differently. So, post shot expected goals only takes into account the goalkeeper's ability. Um, and what it does is it every shot they face, they take in the the expected goals of that specific shot. And then the only thing you're looking at is the expected goals of the shot versus the goalkeeper save. Got nothing to do with shot space. It's got nothing to do with save percentage, which is a uniquely American statistic. Uh for all of you hockey fans out there, save percentage is uh the it's written in scripture in, in NHL discussion, but in football slash soccer discussion, it's essentially meaningless. Um post-shot expected goals is the stat that I would strongly recommend using in terms of, of measuring goalkeeper production. Uh Odiseus was really, really good, but the keeper who I think did him one better is the one who's less surprising uh, is Thibaut Courtois, who is really, really good for this uh, Real Madrid side. Plus 2.7 post-shot expected goals was the best in the entire competition. Uh, just barely, barely nips out Vlacodimos, actually. There were P1 and P2. Three goals allowed as well for Courtois. That was tied for uh, the Champions League's best defensive record with Bayern Munich. So Courtois is my, my first keeper. Vlacodimos, a close, close second I don't want to hear the Neuer shouts. I don't want to hear the Mendy shouts. I don't want to hear the Allison shouts. I get it. You've got a world-class keeper. There's more than one. That's all I'm saying. There's more than one. Just because he's not in the best 11, doesn't mean he wasn't good. And for some reason, goalkeepers are where the most debates are. And I, I can't explain it. Maybe it's because you don't have a whole lot to go off of. But goalkeeper is where I always see the fiercest debates. I don't want to hear them. I've made my case, I've used my stats. If you disagree so be it. But let's do it cordially along with everything else in this best 11. Um, let's go through it again. Courtois in goal, defensive three Cancelo, David, Upamecano, Andreas Christensen, a midfield four Vinicius, Marcelo Brozovic, Christopher Nkunku, Mohamed Salah, and an attacking three Sebastian Haller, Robert Lewandowski, Kylian Mbappe uh damn good 11 if you ask me that lacks defensive balance but again maybe brozovic there means you don't need any defensive balance because uh, he does the role of about seven different people all at once so that's my 11 that is my champions league best 11 my my team of the group stage we'll try to do one for uh, for the knockout stages as well they're going to be fantastic, by the way. This is going, uh, segueing a little bit, but uh, the Champions League team of the group stage. No, not the Champions. We just did the Champions League team of the group stage. The Champions League knockout phases. Expect some heavy, heavy content for them. I'm already planning who I'm going to get on the show to preview the round of 16. And it's probably going to be some people who you guys haven't heard from yet um, who 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 have been planning to get on the podcast eventually. You're going to hear from some people who you haven't heard from yet. So it uh, should be good. Come back for those episodes when we get closer and can preview These uh, these eight mouthwatering ties. Um, Before we do that, though, (laughs) a couple weeks before we do that, which is today, uh, let's discuss our our second topic. Uh, That's the one thing that I've been. You know what? Let's chat about it. So that's the one thing with a solo podcast, folks, is the segues. Sometimes you nail them. Sometimes you, you sometimes you just you segue from one topic to the next, and you're like, I couldn't have made that better if I tried. Other times, it's like you're attached to the back of a U-Haul over a bumpy highway, and it, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's unnatural, and you know it felt clunky, but there's nobody to bounce off of. That was one of those segues, so forgive me. We're going to talk about Dusan Vlahovic now. We're going to discuss this guy because I want, listen, I got, I got plenty. Here's my thing is I've always got plenty of content for both. You guys don't know this. So maybe you do. You probably don't. I'm, I'm essentially reading off of a massive word document that I have open because before these podcasts go, I don't just talk off the cuff for these podcasts it might sound like it specifically moments like right now where I, I kind of am talking off the cuff, but when I'm discussing like a topic, it comes from hours of 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 research and stat hunting all that. And I've got all that stuff written down. So the Champions League team of the group stage, I'm confident with. I'm comfortable with it. This Dusan Vlahovic bit, confident. Comfortable with it. The the 12 seconds in between, oh Lord, hold on. You never know what you're going to get. It, it, we're playing Russian roulette. You could get a fantastic segue. You could get a god-awful one. So forgive me, because that one was god-awful. But let's talk about Dusan Vlahovic. What do you say? Let's talk about this guy. Because he's been he's been taking the world by storm. Okay, he's been taking Italian football by storm. He's been spectacular. Who was the guy 24 months ago? You probably knew. Maybe you didn't. I kind of did. Not a whole lot. Certainly less than now. But this guy's been spectacular. Um if you don't know who Dusan Vlahovic is, he's a, a well, he's a, a, a physical beast paired with a, a really, really smart player. I definitely could have phrased that better. He he is, he, he is, I'll tell you what, he's a doctor in the mind of the Incredible Hulk. That is Dusan Vlahovic. Very, very cerebral, but also just a, a physical beast. That is Dusan Vlahovic. Um, the biggest part of his game is his goal scoring output. That Fiorentina uh, burst onto the scene last season with 21 goals in Serie A. He's only gone and won up that this season with 15 already, uh, 10 non-penalty goals. That 15 tally leads all of Serie A. So the departure of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has not helped just Pablo Dybala, but also Duzan Vahovic, because he can fully claim that throne at the top of the Serie A goal-scoring charts. 36 goals across the last season plus. In Serie A for a Fiorentina side that, uh, you know, a season ago were we're not uh, prone to these beautiful attacking movements that that made your jaw drop. I mean, Fiorentina were battling relegation a season ago, and their biggest, undoubtedly, their biggest source of joy was this this star striker who, uh, who was making a name for himself on the global stage in Dusan it. But it's not like Vladevich is playing for an Inter Milan. Or a Napoli or a Lazio who just create chance after chance and and you know you've you've got to have two broken feet if you don't score double digit goals the striker on those teams that's not that's not Fiorentina and so Vlahovic putting up the numbers he's put up has been uh, even more impressive knowing the team that he plays in um, but the as I mentioned the biggest part of his game is the goal scoring output twenty one last season fifteen already this season leading Serie a, and everything stems from his big physical build he's a physically imposing player. Six foot two, 183 pounds. For my European viewers, six foot two is about 180, 190 centimeters. Yeah, 187, 190 centimeters. Uh, I can't convert uh, pounds to anything because pound is such a a bizarre statistic in and of itself. Uh, But 183 pounds, uh, six foot two, a nightmare for defenders to, to grapple with. And that's why one of the most consistent things you'll see Vlahovic doing is pushing against opposition defenses. Getting up in the face of a center back and trying to, trying to move them towards their own goal. Because he knows that he'll win most physical battles, but that'll also open up space behind him for his midfielders to get into. He'll push the defensive line back. His midfielders can get into that space. He'll have his way with most center backs, which is what makes him one of the things. That makes him very, very dangerous. Uh, that physical build leads into him being uh, spectacular in the air. He's very, very good in aerial duels. He wins 43, almost 44% of his aerial duels, uh, 71st percentile of strikers in the top five leagues. And in a team that includes players like Calión, Saponada, it's a, a Fiorentina side that really the attacking players want to stay wide. They want to create. They want to take on defenders 1v1. Having an aerially dominant striker in the center of the box kind of pulls everything together, kind of acts as that that focal point where the other players in the attack can go and do what they want and play to their strengths, but that's not taking anything away. You've still got Vlahovic in the box, and and his ability to beat two or three defenders in the box, if necessary, is uh, is really, really spectacular. Um, Pulls everything together. He's instructed to get into the box when the ball is in the final third, no surprise. Although he is a player who does contribute in the buildup from time to time. When the ball's in the final third, Lahavich is grappling with the defender inside the penalty area, like clockwork every single time. Um, his physicality allows him to win fouls at a fantastic rate. He draws 2.5, almost 2.6 per game. That puts him in the 86 percentile amongst strikers in the top five leagues. Um, and He wins them. And this is where we'll kind of pivot into his his ability cerebrally, not just physically. He's able to win fouls so consistently because he knows what to do with his body. He wins every time Vlahovic draws a foul. Almost every time Vlahovic draws a foul. It's because he's he's effectively placed his body in between the ball and the defender. The defender, who most of the time is, is undersized, is just looking for a way around him. Because again, Vlahovic will back into you, he'll grapple with you, and then when he's on the ball, you're not going to get it from him. That's what partly makes him so, so effective in, well, Okay, I wouldn't say so-so effective, but he plays a role in, in Fiorentina's buildup. He's certainly not a player like Karin Benzema or a player like, uh, forgive me for my bias, but Harry Kane, who drop deep and and look to really play almost in line with the midfield or get into wide channels and, and create create create. It's not Dusan Vlahovic, but he still plays a pretty important role in the sense that he can drop into the half space and be a long outlet for the center backs. He can be uh, that pivot from moving the ball horizontally for the the lesser physically gifted players. We'll say in this Fiorentina side, he can be the player who holds up play for two or three or maybe even five seconds while the other, while all his teammates kind of get into their positions. Um, he does play a big role in terms of Fiorentina's progression, but he's not just a big body that bangs in goals, despite his ability uh, to leave an impact on the game with just one chance. He is that striker. He is that striker who can, who, who can, who only needs one chance to score, but he does a whole lot more. His understanding of space and positioning, as I mentioned, he pushes against defenses to create space behind, but he also drops into those half spaces, plays one touch passes wide, opens up channels. He's very, very positionally aware in all senses of the game, but specifically in the penalty area <clears throat> because his movements in the penalty area, I mean, you want to talk about a player with striker's instincts. some Vlahovic in the penalty area the way he manipulates defenders, the way he finds pockets of space, the way he jumps in front of other players at the last second to get a toe in uh, to, to put a shot on goal is really, really impressive. Um, and that's one of the things, one of the underrated things about Dusan Vlahovic's game, I think, is his, his I don't know if cerebra- cerebrality, definitely not a word, his his, his smarts, his sport smarts, his striker smarts are, are very, very impressive. And they resemble some of the best strikers in the world. His ability, his his understanding and his ability to find pockets, get into them and have his way with opposition defenders close to the goal. Um, he's got sneaky pace. He's dangerous on the counter. He's not a static player. This is a Fiorentina side who uh, when you watch Fiorentina play more last season, uh, sometimes this season, though, they won't aggressively press you. They're not in that upper echelon. They're not one of the seven sisters of Italian football. Um, so that might trick you into thinking that Vlahovic is not a player with the high energy, high motor. He likes to sit back. He likes to, to only wait for Fiorentino to win the ball back, and then he springs into action. But that's not the case at all. It's just because Fiorentino are inherently not a super high-pressing side against better opposition. They're sitting a bit lower to win the ball back and then to break on the counter. Uh, Vlahovic is a player with bundles of energy. Loads of, loads of energy. He will (laughs) almost a seemingly unending motor is what Dusan Vlahovic brings. Um, and that, that's what makes him, you know, I, do I think he's, he's a complete striker yet in the sense of, of a, a striker with no weakness. I wouldn't say so. I don't think, I mean, he's, he's still very, very young. I believe he's only 21 years old. Um, but he's, he's on his way to getting there. And obviously, you look at his game now, and what you're most drawn to is the goal scoring. That's obviously the best part of his game for now. Um, but to that point, it is a bit easy for a player like Vlahovic to sometimes go missing in matches if he's not getting the service he requires because he's not as involved in build-up play as some of those other strikers I mentioned. He can't drop super, super deep either to pick up the ball like in midfield because Fiorentina don't have the players who can fill into that space. While he's while he's dropping deep, so do I think Vlahovic is a complete far with no weakness? No, I think there's very very few, if any, players who who really fit that characteristic. Um, but he is still one of the most promising and exciting young talents. Um, certainly one of the most promising and exciting young strikers that there are. And I think you look you you think of young strikers who are who are physically dominant, just poachers who aren't just goal scorers i think the first name you think of is erling holland uh but Dusan vlahovic is not far behind obviously holland is a generational player the jury is sell out on vlahovic uh of course we'd like to see him take that next step and see if he still produces at the same level like like holland has but in terms of build and skill set um you know maybe holland is a bit quicker but those two are are more similar than you than, than different without a doubt and uh we all know how electrifying and how much fun Erling Holland is. Dusan Vlahovic is a player who is capable of putting up similar numbers in a, in an equally difficult league. So, Dusan Vlahovic, exciting young talent. I wanted to to profile him a bit more deeper than just a a, a bet the bank would, if that makes sense, because he is an exciting player and he is going to earn his move somewhere sooner rather than later. So, that's Dusan Vlahovic. That's my Champions League team of the group stage. And that's episode 10. That That will wrap things up. So um, I hope, I hope, I hope you all very much enjoyed what you heard over the last, I know I said 45 minutes, more like 57. Um, that being said, I thought it was a good conversation. I thought it was a good discussion that we had. Um, if you enjoyed what you heard, please do two things for me. Please considering, please consider following us on social media. And that's a couple of accounts I'm going to throw at you. First and foremost, follow Breaking the Lines on Twitter at BTLVid. But also follow myself on Twitter at WillFowler5. Um, objectively, I think BTL is probably the better follow. I, I, But you know what? I have a banger every now and then. I'll, I'll come out with some gold. Uh, not nearly as consistently. But, uh, but you know, I, I uh, pays the bills. It, it's honest work. Uh, BTL, if you like what you heard on this podcast, you will love what we consistently put out on the Breaking the Line social platforms on Twitter. Um, we also just restarted the Instagram, which you're going to go on and check out. But the big thing is the website, www.BreakingTheLines.com. That's where you can find all of our content, stuff like this that we come out with daily. You're going to want to see all of it. So if you enjoyed this podcast, go and check us out more in depth over there at Breaking The, uh, the other thing that I would so kindly ask of you is if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the, the Lines audio podcast. This is not the only podcast on our network. We've got, to my knowledge, three others, not including myself. So to my knowledge, we've got three others. And those are Cortalinhas, which is uh, Zach's Portuguese football podcast, Casa de which is a spectacular uh, French football podcast. And then I'm going to Americanize myself with the pronunciation of this podcast, but our Calcio Italian podcast, area di Rigore. You're going to want to go and check that one out as well. Uh, Portuguese, French, Italian football, all covered on our airwaves, along with, of course, the tactics room, which hopefully you appreciate just as much. Nine more episodes of this podcast if you want to go back and take a listen. Tenth is the best one, if I say so myself, because we're trying to constantly improve here at Big One, trying to get better with every single episode. So the 11th will be better than the 10th, probably better than the 11th, but those last nine episodes are still going, are, are still worth a listen, if I have to say. I still think I would strongly recommend in my objective, objective viewpoint. That'll do it for me. I'll quit the rambling. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope to metaphorically see you all right back here for episode 11. My name is Will Fowler, and you've been listening to the Tactics Dream Podcast presented by Break Noise.